Bienvenido, bienvenue, and welcome to Samaritan Conversations. In Luke's account of an event over 2,000 years ago, there's a story of a man traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho who was attacked by bandits. The priest saw the attacked person and opted to pass the other way. A Levite also opted to pass the other way. Then, according to Luke's version, a certain Samaritan, someone outside of the religious establishment who was marginalized, stopped and helped. Samaritan Conversations is a podcast focused on community and business leaders who live as that certain Samaritan, that good Samaritan. Welcome to the show today, Solomon Kelly of UBS, and more importantly, uh, Samuel Kelly's brother. Uh, Solomon, why don't you just start off with, um, you know, telling us a little bit about your background and we'll just go from there. Yes. Thank you, Sam. Glad to be here today. My name is Solomon Kelly. As you stated, I am Samuel's twin brother. Although we are fraternal twins, if you never knew one of us existed, I currently reside in Chicago, even though I grew up in Atlanta. I've actually had friends who visited Atlanta and came back and says, I, you should have told me you had a twin brother because when I kept calling him Solomon and he refused to look at me, I could have died. So if you don't know, I have a twin brother and sometimes I don't tell people that from Chicago, but if they go, I know uh, someone met him at a conference one time that wasn't even in Atlanta, they will think that I'm him and vice versa. But I, I do currently work for UBS as a financial firm. I do software engineering for financial software and things of that sort. I went to Georgia Tech also uh, with my twin brother. We were there, two different schools, but the same university. And I'm that way. I'm engineering. My mind works that way. I'm very specific when I do things and how I plan. But there's always been this pull on me to help kids, even when I was at Tech. And I just never had the opportunity to do that. I got to Chicago, and a few years after getting my feet in the door with engineering, I went to this church, and I said, Solomon, um, you're a quiet person. Why don't you help this quiet kid? He has problems. <laughs> I'm like, mm. <laughs> my idea of helping kids was to talk to a kid who's already smart and just really crank it up so they just, they just blow it out of the park. But when I talked to this young man, he would not talk to me. He refused to talk to me. It was hard. I was a quiet person. I was talking to everybody. How do I get to this kid? And I realized one thing. After six months, this kid did everything for me to just leave. And I remember I was standing, was standing outside a building. I said, hey, look, man, I think he was in the ninth grade. I said, look, I know you're doing everything for me to leave. I'm not sure who was in your life before. But no matter what happens, I'm not going anywhere. Six wow. months after trying to figure this kid out, those words, Open them, popped them like the hardest nut you can ever pop. I know in the South we have walnuts and hard nuts, but instantly this kid opened up and I was amazed. So, my view of who I would help drastically changed at that point. So, now what I try to do every four years or every six years, in addition to coaching kids and mentoring kids, I choose one marginalized African American kid who's been pushed into the um, learning disabled arena. Because mm. the school thinks it's behavior. Or, and I realize every time I get one of those kids, they're all geniuses. It's just a matter of how they've been applied and how to open them up to opportunity. 
So that's my life. My, my passion is helping kids to develop into what fully God has for them in spite of what society, the school system, maybe sometimes their parents think of them. Wow. That's my passion. So how long have you, uh, uh, before we come back to that, I'm always curious. I, I almost moved to um, Chicago when I decided to move from Boston to Atlanta. So I'm curious about making that switch from um, Atlanta to Chicago. Because the reason I checked it off was I was like, oh, my gosh, this is even colder than Boston. I need to get away from the cold. <clears throat> that, that's funny you asked that. I. Everybody asked me that because my family, my whole family is still in Atlanta. I made that transition based upon a summer or summers interning uh, for the Fort Motor Company and their technology division. Mm. I would go there in the summer. So the first summer, I think it was my freshman year at Georgia Tech, I went up there. And it was so temperate. The summer there, I'm like, oh, I'm liking this. It was not humid. I can go from my car to the building in the middle of the summer and not sweat and have to take three or four showers from on Tex campus. <laughs> so after three years of doing that, I was like, huh, a couple offers came up the Midwest. I loved it. And I took it based upon the summer. The first, and I, I when I went, so I graduated from Tech in December. I was there like the end of December, January 2000. And a little bit after that, it snowed about six feet in a matter of 12 hours. When it starts snowing that morning, I called in. I, well, I turn on the TV because I'm from the South, right? Turn on the TV. Yep. I'm like, I'm looking for They're going to cancel, right? And two hours into it, I didn't see any cancellations, <laughs> not school, not anything. So I called the uh, security guy. I was like, hey, um, are you, you guys going to cancel, right? He's like, where are you from? I said, I'm from Atlanta. He's like, how far are you from here? I was like, five minutes. He's like, well, you better drive because it's open. <laughs> and I drove literally <laughs> almost like five miles an hour. And I was only five minutes away because it was a, it was a lot of snow. Um, so that, that, that winter, I almost drove home and came back. But I made my decision upon the summer. Um, but then after learning everything, I just, I, I like it. The winter is harsh. But the whole winter, I dream about the fall, the spring and the summer. And it's one thing about going through a harsh winter. You really enjoy the spring and the summer like nobody's business. You get out and you enjoy it. So that's one thing I can say. How many have you continued to help? Um, so I, I, I continue to help. Like right now, I have a gentleman that I mentored through his junior high all the way through high school um i still do mentor and tutor other kids currently but if i go back i started that first kid i mentioned in my intro that was when i first started when i went to church i was around 2002 he right now um has a family a full-time job has kids has a wife and just doing great and his story was when i met him they were kicking him he got kicked out of school and then he got put into a, um, a behavior military school. So they really thought that this guy just would not be able to contribute. But by being there and partnership, being a partner and an advocate for him, now he's very, very successful. So if you count from 20, 2000, that's 2000, every four years, there's a new kid or every six years, there's a new kid. That's the kids that I, I, I literally pour time and everything into. On top of that, I do meet with kids and mentor 
um, teens, teenagers as groups. We do trips. One trip I did with a group of teens that this gentleman's youngest brother was in. So after he had gone off to college of his life, his youngest brother was in, and we taught him how to ski, how to overcome your fear in spite of what the world gives you. Um, so we taught him how to ski and things like that. So it's it's quite a few kids. Um, if I go to count the group, the mentor or the tutorial groups started out usually about 10 at a time in that group. And then if I count the one individual I really pour into every four years or six years, um, you can multiply by that, but a lot a plenty of, 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 yeah. um, of young people. Wow. So tutoring, skiing, ski trips, um, that sounds like a, a lot. Is this all still with that same church or are you kind of doing this separately? The So I, I mentor separately. So start off with that one kid, but then after that, that's when I, it could be the kids at church or someone else in the neighborhood that hears about me. And usually it's a ton. Hey, I heard you talking to such, such kid, talk to my boy. <laughs> and what I'm doing now is realizing that because it's such a great need, I'm going into a ministry with the 20 to 30 something year olds to, to carbon copy, duplicate myself. Yeah. So that they can do what I did when I was in my twenties and had that time and could, you know, turn over and build a group of young people that are inspired to know that they can do it in spite of what the world tells them. I mean, that that's pretty powerful. I'd love to hear maybe some of the stories because you probably have a few of just some of these kids who, you know, maybe were the first batch or first few who, and just how their lives have been open because of that. Because, you know, it, it's, if you haven't seen it and you don't, you haven't had anybody put, like you said with the first example, where after six months, just telling this kid that you were not going to leave regardless, right? That might, you might have been the first person to ever say that. Like, no matter how much you push me back, I'm going to be there. And just being able to pour that into someone, that probably changed that young gentleman's life completely, just knowing that you would be a resource and a rock that would be there for him. Yeah. And, you know, Sam, I, I think that's the key, the seed that really reaches these young kids. And I, I think even after him and to present, the kid, young man I'm working with present, that was exactly what it was. So when I told this kid that he, he basically did say everybody who comes in, they just come in, they saw him as a opportunity to do something for themselves. Mm-hmm. So he just thought, oh, this new kid coming in, this young man just coming in to put a badge on his uh, a pat on his back or a badge on his shoulder. And when I said that and meant it, he did, he opened up. He was the kind of guy who um, would be very respectful to his mom, but disrespectful to everybody else, his teachers, mm-hmm. everybody. Um, and it's funny. This is what I told him. I said, Hey, and uh, this kid and all of them that I pour my time into, I'm talking about, I show them how to, how, how I bought my house. I show them, what you do with you have credit card. I show them, hey, this is how you handle yourself when you're a man and you you upset with somebody. If the cops stop you or somebody's in your classes and this young man actually did get in a fight with somebody. Oh, I'm going to fight back. He got a knife. This is what you do. Um, and for some time, they might not hear you, but what yeah. they do is they see you. Yeah. And I usually see out of these kids, by the time they turn 21, that's when everything you pour into them, it just comes together between 21 and 25. So I told this young man, he was 15. I said, Hey man, look, 
I'm going to talk to you when you're 18, you're 21, and I'm going to say, whose couch are you sitting on? And I'm saying, I'm not just saying, are you sitting on your mom's couch? I'm saying, are you dependent upon your mom and you have no future aspirations? And I'm going to ask you, what car are you driving? Whose yeah. table are you sitting at, eating at? Because he would always go around saying, I'm a man, I'm a man, I'm a man. Okay. He, he came back. So he left. He came back. He was 21. I saw him down at the church. I was like, hey, you look like a little man there from the time I knew that little boy. And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He had a deep voice, mustache. <laughs> and I said, um, oh, so where are you staying now? Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting with my mom now. Yeah, 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 yeah. I said, oh, that's cool. So whose couch are you sitting on? He said, well, I'm sitting on my mom's couch and say, what table? He said, no, no, man, no. Because he realized, because I told him, if, you, if, if I ask you that, that means you're stuck at 15. Mm. If you hadn't gone off and done things, you'd be stuck at 15. And from there, he said, you know what? I'm getting my life together. I'm going back to school. I'm getting a job. And he moved away from home. And all this thing came to fruition because I said, I'm not going anywhere. And, and I, I like the, the questions, too, that just, you know, being because a lot of times when you're 15, you don't think as much about the future. But being able to kind of simplify and just say, I'll ask you these same questions later, um, you know, basically put it full circle. And I think, you know, without kind of preaching to him, you basically gave him that opportunity to go, man, I was 15, now I'm 21 or whatever. And those same questions are asked. I can't allow myself to be 25 and get those same questions and have the same answers. And so that kind of, you know, automatically made him uh, self-driven to go accomplish stuff. Yeah. And another thing I do too, so that was individualized with these teenagers that I have come through my class and mentoring and stuff like that. When they hit 11th grade, I sit down and I ask them not just where they want to go in the future, but I ask where their relationship's at. Because a lot of times we're, we're forced by our environment based upon our relationships and the conditions they were used to. So I ask them, so how's your relationship with your mom? Oh, we're good. We're good. We're good. How's your relationship with your dad? Oh, I don't talk to him. I was like, so have you thought about your relationship as far as forgiving him? I have. I just don't talk to him. So I forgive him. It's just I don't have to talk to him about anything. I'm like, okay. So I said, do you, when you talk to your, your father or the, 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 the parent that you don't get along with, you're saying it's okay. But when they say something that kind of gets in your skin, are you cool with it or did it get, does it get you really angry? Oh, I get me upset. I want to hang out. I want to talk to him anymore. I said, get this. If you don't deal with what's in front of you now, when you get to college, and you get beyond college, you're going to hit a wall like a ton of bricks. And that wall is my identity based upon who wasn't there and who is there. And do I blame them? Mm. You won't be free to love and you won't be free to relate to people. So there's two things that happens in your life. You, it's your relationships and it's your future knowledge, like going to school, getting a degree. If you don't have emotional intelligence, they have research that says you're cutting yourself off at the knees. So well, the biggest thing I do to Every single ninth grader, but particularly the 11th graders, boys and girls, I asked how their relationships. And they think it's like, why are you asking me this? Why are you bringing up this stuff? I'm, I don't want to talk about that. I'm like, okay, we got to look for, if you're forethinking, it's about relationships, emotional intelligence, as well as your educational intelligence. 
So, I mean, as I'm listening to this, it almost sounds like you've got a full, you've done it enough that you've kind of got a full curriculum. And I, I mean, this is, this is the sort of stuff that people pay money for to have, you know, to sit on couches, to, you know, have this sort of awakening. And so, I mean, just how did you kind of even, how did you go from, hey, talk to this quiet kid to, to that? right? The, this whole system. Um, it's, I think it's what I mentioned earlier in my intro. There has been always this pull on me for kids and young people. Like I'll just okay. look at a kid or a baby and whether they're, I don't know, they don't have everything, whether you're watching the TV or just going by in the neighborhood because um, we lived in Atlanta. I always had this something inside of me that kind of pulled me. I'm like, oof. It just I had a burden. When I talked to that kid the first time and I realized the the seed that will change or transform his life, that burden became a vision for the future and an innate ministry that I couldn't control. Right. Mm. So if a kid comes by me and they're somewhere in my path and I see it, I know the parents, I know what the situation is and I get involved and there's, I have no control over going into what you call that curriculum. So this last kid um, has been my most challenging one because typically I do it. And by the time they're in college, they, they go off. This kid, um, he pushed me because he was just way out there. He was beyond, I mean, his behavior was just be out there. Let me tell you how. I met him. So his mom was at the church and, and I saw him out in the neighborhood because he, he visited things. But he never came to the church. But one particular holiday, he came to the church and I heard the grandma in the hallway ask the mom, why did you bring this devil to church? I'm like, Man. why is she saying that? This is church. <laughs> like, What's going on this lady? So come to find out the guy was only coming to church because his sister was in my class. And I started talking, taking the sister to the curriculum. Because she was really hurt. She didn't have anybody to talk to. Didn't know her father. And the first two days he came to my class, I had to ban him from Sunday school. This is church. This is how bad wow. it was. <laughs> I banned him from Sunday school. He didn't want to go to church, but he wanted to come and cause trouble in the teen area I was at. He sat across the hall. And I noticed this kid came every week. I'm like, why are you coming? You caused me so much trouble. <laughs> and he was the kind, I'm like, you know what? They need to just take this kid, give him some medication. Seriously. I, I had to ask God forgive me because this was my thought process. This guy's going to need some medication. He's way gone. And he was in junior high. Wow. But he would come to church and then he would start coming to Tuesday nights. Like, why is this kid coming? And he didn't, he was irritating to me because he didn't want to listen to my process. He didn't want to listen to yep. any man because he thought he was a man, but he didn't want to listen to it, but he kept showing up. So I'm like, oh, I'm going to have to. This is another kid. I say, whoever comes by me, right? He came by, I'm like, oh, my God, <laughs> I'm going to have to. So I told his mom I would go to his first parent-teacher conference. So by this time, he'd become, he was very disrespectful to everybody. Everybody passed to me. And by this time, he was respectful because I wouldn't allow it. He was respectful to everybody at church. So I told the mom I have to come to his first parent-teacher conference. I go in there. It was a behavior school. So you got these big dudes at the door and he's standing mm. out there and I met the principal. I met the superintendent. I met. So with these, these learning disabled kids, they give them like five out in the suburbs, five resources. They put money there, but 
and I'm talking to everybody, and he had told them that I was his lawyer because you know I'm dressed, I'm financial, <laughs> and they were scared. And I'm and I'm talking to him. By the time I introduced myself, they're like, "Oh my God, you do that! Oh my God, we need more of you!" Da da da. So when he came in, he saw they're talking to me nice. He's like, "This meeting is over. We get out of here now." And I looked at him. <laughs> I couldn't believe what. So I knew he was disrespectful. But he's talking to all adults, and I'm there, right? So he wouldn't disrespect me. I said, "Boy, you just go 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 to the door." And he left, <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> "Hey guys." I, I guarantee you got my word. We're, we're going to make sure that this situation is rectified and we going to make sure he has what he needs and da, 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 da. We leave and I said, okay, I, I know exactly what I have to do now. His world at school, his world at home and his world at church have to collide in a collision if there's going to be a change in his life. Yep. And I had to do that. Um, and it was, a, he was the one kid that's like, if you're going to give up, that would have been him. But wow. he is becoming the most amazing, the most brilliant. I mean, he has entrepreneurial spirit, ideas that pops out of everywhere. The most brilliant person has the deepest gift, but it's taken more time and emphasis of saying, I'm not going anywhere, but we got to go beyond where you are now because that gift that's inside of you has to be freed from your hurt of your past. Anything that anyone said to you that's damaging what you can fully be, I see that 10 years down the road. When I tell him that, he's, he's marching that way. It's interesting because when you described the fact that he kept coming to your class, you know, it, 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 it just kind of what flashed across my mind was he already had seen there must have been something there. So maybe from his sister. And so even though he wasn't necessarily behaving, it was just I, there's something different here. I need to be I need to see more of this and i think once he realized that you were in you know then it's sort of oh my gosh baby i need to really kind of pay more attention yeah you, it's funny because he's very observant i mean this guy this is how bad he was but also good whenever let's say he would walk into a room all three of us in there he'll immediately ask you a lot of questions and he'll watch you he will mm. find your switch of how he's going to get you. I mean, he's very good at this. I mean, perceptually, psychologically, he's that deep. So I think what he was doing was, he's like, this is just, this is just too good to be true. This is no way this guy's like this. And his yep. thing was, I'm going to push you until you curse. This was his thing. Oh yeah. Hmm. At school, I, I got all my teachers to curse. I got everybody to curse. I'm going to push you until you man. He will, he will literally walk up to you basically to make you, if you curse, curse or pop him in the face. That's how bad he would do stuff. So wow. I had this opportunity to come every single time to see what is this guy. And every time I was there, it was even, if, even if I had to go, let's say, fix a shed at the church, something that teenagers wouldn't do, he'll ask his mom to bring him. I'm like, okay. So anytime <laughs> anything happened, I let him know, his mom know, and this kid was there every single time. Um, and then eventually, you know, his behavior got better. He was more respectful. But yeah, he, was, he would test every time. And even to some, today, he wouldn't do that. But even to the end, he would still little jab just to see. It's amazing that even at that young age, he was, even though in the, the reason might have been different, he was attuned to, you know, there might be hypocrisy here. Let me see if, if, if I can sniff it out. <laughs> 
Yeah, because that's who he's he's dealt with, right? He, people yeah. that hurt him. So he always thought that it's it's somewhere. Now, even to, today, if I talk to him, he knows who I am. He's just like, nah, can it be? Mike, it is. You you yeah. see what you get. And I say, and I told him the test is whether I'm talking to you now, I'm at my house talking to somebody in a relationship, or I'm outside and someone has a camera on me. The integrity of who I am has to be there. And you said something very key, Sam. If you want a group of people that look at what you do versus what you say, talk to teenagers. Yeah. It doesn't matter what you say because they have parents that tell them the same thing, right? I tell the kids the same thing their parents do. Why do they listen to me? Well, because I'm not their parents. I have a kid. Yeah. I realize that kids don't listen to you anyway. <laughs> but they watch what your actions are saying. And if your action says, you know what? I, I love you just like God loves you. And I believe no matter what you do, or what you've done, your future has hope and the best is yet to come. And it's going to be blessed because I see it. Any kid I talk to, even the, the gentleman I, I said I mentored last, even today, because he's 22, he just turned 22. I said, look, if there's something I'm asking you, that's to go deeper so that all that you are and God has for you happens next minute, next month, five years, 10 years down the road. I see you 10 years, 20 years down the road, and I see way beyond where you are right now. And when I start talking like that, that's when they're like, okay, I thought it was hopeless to try to be respectful or do this or do that. But when I say 10, 20 years down the road, they're like, hmm, okay. Yeah. Okay. It, it's so important to give that vision. One, so um, you might be the only male figure who's talking about 10 years from now. Right. And not ending that sentence in 10 years from now, you're going to be in prison. <laughs> right? right. So you're the only person who's even presenting hope instead of, you know, this negative outcome. And so that difference is so empowering. Yeah, I, I think you you hit some, a nail on the head. When I started working with the school systems I'm on the suburb out in Chicago, and I realize they're spending, so if you think about in this country, they spend more money on the penal system, uh, the jails and things like that, than they would in the neighborhoods that some of these African-American young men grow up in. <laughs> they spend more money on the prisons to put them in prison than to spend, they could even spend less amount of money to send them on education. Yep. That only develops from a system that values what they think of you, right? So now. We're so many years beyond that, and we're in these suburbs of um, these suburbs. Suburban schools spend more money on the special educations for these young people when they technically, at a very young age, could spend money on some kind of system that tutors them and bring them into what they're teaching. Because culture-wise, the way you teach, there is studies that I, I do a lot of research around education too that is geared toward a certain culture. Okay. Um, and to give you a litmus test of it, I think my twin brother remember this. When we were in high school in Atlanta, it was a, a AP class, predominantly black. It was the, I think our last two years. Our first two years was a predominantly white school. Well, we are in trigonometry and they had a teacher, a special, a teacher who was learning, getting her degree. She came and taught us for about three to four months. I think maybe six months, if I was not mistaken. And when she taught that class, everybody was making A's, start making C's. 
and they hated her. I mean, she did a test. And my twin brother was looking at the test. We made we we made a hundred before she got there. Made a hundred when she got there. Like, hey, well, what's the problem? What was you guys deal? Because we had gone to an all white school the first two years, we understood the concept of that system. When mm. She came over to an all black AP. I mean, this is an AP school, a school that's a magnet school. Yep. And for those six months, she started teaching, and all the other kids' grades dropped. Why? There's a total difference to what a school system and how they teach is geared toward. Okay. Yep. So now we go back to the kids, the, the young men I start targeting, which was a special education one, because at a young age, if the teacher saw this little black boy and his behavior is a little bit off, she's like, I can't teach him. He's just going to be trouble. So in their yep. mind, these kids are trouble. So the majority of the kids that go to these behavior class are black. Not all of them, but a lot yep. of them, because they're not attuned to how this system is. So when I saw that, I was like, huh. So the first thing I do is I talk to these kids. Say, hey, so what do you like doing? Ah, video games. That first kid, I knew he was something. And this is when I started digging in when he, we went and bought a video game. He opened the video game and memorized the whole booklet of cheat codes within a matter of 15, 20 minutes. Wow. I'm like, okay, I got you. So let's go to the library. (laughs) I said, okay, we'll do, we'll work on your work because he hated doing work. And then I'll let you go do anything you want in the library and we'll get something interesting. Do you know where he went? This is, I think it's in ninth grade junior high. He went to the, the, the drafting aisle where um, architects, because I remember at Georgia Tech, I'll be up late at night, and the only other schools late at night was the, the school of architects. You can see them on the top floor over their draft. <laughs> this kid got a college-level architectural drafting book. He opened it up. He went and asked for some popsicle sticks, toothpicks. I don't know what kind of special thing. And he built a whole house to scale with these little bitty sticks and had hardwood floor. How do you make hardwood floor out of toothpicks and popsicle sticks? And you build In a whole library. house. <laughs> Just yeah, like from a book. He, yeah. a book. He got the book from the library, right? He took it home and he built all this stuff. And his mom said, he's doing like, you know what? This is why. These kids, they are geniuses. It's just the system that they get. In tells them at a very young age that you know you're not nothing but they're brilliant. I think that's the whole key with so many of our young children, particularly boys. And the sad fact is, um, the the way the education system is set up, it's it doesn't matter whether you're in the inner city where there's low income or in the suburbs, because um, Sam, where we live, I've had issues with Charles, my middle boy. Um, even when he started learning how to read, they wanted to say, oh, he has issues. Just because he learned different than the way they were trying to make him sit and block him in. Didn't know he's very active. Any, any young black boy is very active. He has issues. Because if he can't sit still or if he finds the way you're teaching him is boring, they label you. And this, 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 that, that's why I think you hit something very important. Um, so Charles, my middle son, I had to sit and teach him myself after all the teachers like, oh, he, he's not going to learn how to read because he's not doing this. And my wife would get nervous because I tell her, ignore the teachers. I don't care what grade they have. By the end of the year, he's going to have higher scores than all the students. But through the process, she was so nervous because she's like, I see what she's marking off here. But I was like, don't worry. I know what the end of the I know what the skill is at the end going to be. Yeah. So sure enough. At the end of the year, he's reading ahead of all the other students. When they take the test, guess who's the student that scores very highly? 
He does. Why is that? Well, they didn't recognize that he's a very intelligent boy. He just, he's very active and he, he doesn't learn the same born way doing the same thing over and over again. So I even had to teach him back the way we learned how to read because I realized that he, the way that they're showing it wasn't going to work. Yeah. Now flip it to my first, my oldest. He's a gifted student. We had him in a private school and they said, uh, we can't deal with your son. He, he's finished all the work we give him. He refuses to do these worksheets that the teacher told him to do. He, and we asked him why. And he says, well, I did them 10 times already. Can you give me another worksheet where I can learn more? And they, they called me into the office and said that this is a problem. And I, <laughs> what they said, and I said, do you understand? This is an expensive school. I have three kids here. And you're telling me that my son is a problem because you've ran out of work for him. And he won't do worksheets that you repeatedly give. I was like, don't worry, I'll, I'll, I'll supply the work. But I eventually pulled all my kids out and I told them this is why. If you're having this problem with a very good student, I feel sorry for any parent whose student needs help. And I said, this is my firstborn. I don't know. Maybe my other two students are going to need help. So they're like, no, 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 don't, don't, don't take them. You, you, you've, you've paid all your kids up front every month for months in advance. I was like, no, I have to go. So the idea is the education system is set up against a student who they say is not conforming, whether it's a very intelligent student or it's an intelligent student that learns differently. So yeah. I think you hit it on the head, Solomon, when you, you recognize that. Because once a kid, because at first my, my son was like, Dad, they, the teacher was saying the kids were picking on me because of my grades. Um, in reading, I was like, don't worry. But I was like, I want you to remember this because when your grades higher, I don't want you doing the same thing. Mm, so sure yeah. enough, end of the year, he's making 100. <laughs> Dad, I made better than everybody else. And oh, their grades are bad. I was like, no, don't do that. Don't you remember yeah. when they were telling you, oh, laughing at your grades? And it wasn't because you were dumb because that's, that's what they say when your grades are low. I was like, yeah. you're intelligent and now you're making all good grades. I want you to encourage them and show them how you got it. But ultimately, um, I think Solomon has it when a child realizes that even though the school system and their teachers actually forget about them, because to them, oh, I got the, even a good teacher. I got a whole yeah. classroom full of kids. There's yep. no way I can even figure out if the kid can learn or not. Let's just throw them in behavioral and go on because the system's not set up. The system is set up really for the great students or the students yes. that's willing to shut up and be quiet. Yep. So I think as long as, you know, the example that Solomon's given is done, we, we can reach more students. You know, I'm yeah. not going to leave no matter what. We're going to find out what it is that um, piques your intelligence because everybody is given a gift. Everybody brings something to the world no matter what people think of them. Yeah. And if I may. Sam, you, you brought that, that point home, and Samuel just gave the reason why I do what I do. These young people don't have a dad or a mom that does that for them, right? Yeah. So if they don't have a mom and dad that does that for them at that young of age, guess what happened? They get pushed. And I, I'll leave with this one thing. I was in the fifth grade, and my twin brother and I, we are the same mathematically reading-wise, but they figured at this time that they want to twi split twins. Twins couldn't be in the same class because some psychological thing, they didn't want one person, they're better, that's fine. 
the class they put me in was uh, a lower class. The, the performance was a little bit lower. They still had smart people a little bit lower. This is a black school, by the way. So we're not mm. saying this just because you're black doesn't mean you're 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 not in tune to what the system wants because the system demands the same thing of you. Oh, you yep. need grades, you need scores, you need this. Okay, same math thing. But this math teacher bumped me down to this lower grade for whatever reason. She saw me and like put me there and put me down with the reading thing. My mom talked to her. Hey, um, I see you putting him here, but his brother is on this, and I want them. My mom had the fortitude to know there's a certain math. We should have been in fifth grade. So by the time we're sixth grade there. So by the time we're a senior in high school, we're in calculus. Yeah. Fort thinking, right? Yep. This math teacher's like, no, he, he, no, 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 no. He can't. He can't because not because I'm not able to, but she's like, he's yeah. not, he's not, you know, my mom went and talked to the next teacher who's next door and say, yeah. I want my son to test out. So that he, by the time he graduates, he's on this path to college. I did not like that. I hated it because I had to take tests while everybody was outside during recess. Yep. (laughs) But that's how she got around this other teacher who's like, nope, during my time, his instructor's going to do this. This other teacher says, whoa, your mom want to do that? Come on. Yep. And during recess, I had to sit and take tests. I watched everybody go outside and I'm sitting there. Oh, I was upset. But by the time we left there. I was in the math system that I should have been because had she not done that, I wouldn't have not been on that college prep that took me toward the college thing, the, the calculus thing at that. Yeah. The thing I never forget is I felt horrible. I'm sitting there. The teacher's telling me something. I know it's not. And I'm just not. I'm like, I don't. I knew who I was. I'm like, this is, yeah. this is yeah. crappy to be stuck yeah. like this. And I don't forget that. So whenever I see a kid, I always know their potential. Because you, we are their advocates to see their future. I, I don't see now. The parents are like, why do you work so hard when they're so knuckleheaded? Say, because if I looked at now, I'm gone. <laughs> yeah, it, but I looked it, at their future. It's and I think I've, I appreciate you bringing that up, Solomon, because it, as Samuel was talking about it, that's exactly what I thought. The difference is a lot of times the parents and the parents being willing to jump in and say, that doesn't make sense. Um, you know, and Samuel and I've kind of talked, I think, um, about those stories of going to the teachers and, and knowing the right time. And, um, you know, cause we've had that even at a, a private school with our, our daughter who they had to let go a year in advance because she was, advance you know and we you know she gets a second grade and this one teacher has all these issues that we go to be with the teacher she's listing up all these stuff and we're like ah that's not our kid <laughs> so you know and so we've had to have those conversations and there's so many other parents who either are too busy you know, if you're working multiple jobs or whatever and they just can't do that so to kind of wrap this up I guess let me just um we typically kind of ask as the last question, just what, if someone else was a good Samaritan for you and, you know, like what kind of motivated you to be that, that good Samaritan? Was it someone in your past or, or what? Yes. I, if I look back, yes. Um, maybe my mom was a good Samaritan, so she would help it. Not just her kids. She was always out there. If someone needs some help, they'll help them. Our dad, to some extent, also, he would help an elderly neighbor or he'll make us 
cut her lawn and do these things for people who couldn't do for themselves. And I think when you grow up with that, you have a choice. You, You don't necessarily have to do it just because you saw him do it. But if you have a heart that's built like, you know what, if someone can't do something for themselves, I have the power to be that advocate to stand there for them. And I think that was the pull for me to do the same thing for any kid or child that I could possibly do it for. Yep. All right. Well, thank you so much, Solomon Kelly, for um, gracing us with your presence. We're really...